In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to start with a piece we've been running with on the news this morning, and this is a man is understood to be in a serious condition. Now, it's following an incident on the north side of the city earlier this morning. Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, this incident happened in the Mayfield area. What, what is known so far? Um, we're talking about Annelie Grove in Mayfield on the north side of Cork. At about quarter to eight this morning, the fire service received a 999 call to say that there was a fire at a house in Annelie Grove. Now, when the emergency services arrived at the scene to extinguish the fire, they were while they were doing so, they discovered a man in his late 30s, early 40s, on the ground uh, in a critical condition after being stabbed multiple times. Now, the fire service immediately notified the ambulance service as well as the guards. And when they arrived, they administered uh, as much attention to the injured party as they could. He spent uh, maybe up to 20 minutes in the ambulance. My understanding is that this man was finding it extremely difficult, had major breathing problems, and they administered uh, the medication and assistance and then removed the injured party to Cork University Hospital. His injuries are described as extremely serious. My understanding is that it's not life-threatening, but yet extremely serious. He has received multiple stab wounds, both to the front of his body, the back, the chest, the arms, the legs, as well as his back. So the area up in um, Annelie Grove is, remains sealed off. I understand that this injured party had called to the house and something happened, and of course, it's early in the investigation, and this is all part of the inquiry. Now, guards will obviously want to speak to the injured party, but they won't be able to do so until the medics at Cork University Hospital say that he's fit enough uh, to be uh, spoken to. But my understanding is that he's currently undergoing uh, surgery at CUH. Okay, but that, that's a busy residential uh, area, uh, Paul. And for an incident to happen, you know, at that hour of the morning, there would have been people coming and going to work, you know, families getting yeah. children ready for school. 
Exactly. As I said, the call came in just about quarter to eight. So you would have had uh, people heading off to work, walking, driving. You would have had uh, kids possibly heading off to schools, uh, Mayfield Community School or to catch a bus. So people would have seen something. It's, it's inevitable. Gardy say that someone has to have seen something uh, happening in that area. It's, it's, it's a small enough area. Uh, many walking around that time of the, the morning, heading out, as we said. So also, of course, dash cam is now a, a thing that plays a significant part in investigations. Cars travelling, the dash cam is on. So if you were in and around that area this morning, um, and in Annalee Grove and Mayfield, say between half to seven and eight o'clock. And if you have dash cam, have a look at it to see if there's anything that can help the guards with their inquiries. Uh, Gardaí and Watercourse Road in Mayfield are investigating the incident. Again, they will want to speak to the homeowner. They will also want to speak, of course, to the, the injured party. And until they're able to do so, I suppose the investigation is it's in its infancy, but until they speak to both the homeowner and the injured party, I suppose they won't be able to progress um, any further until those two people are spoken to. But as I said, the man is in a serious but non-life-threatening situation. He is undergoing surgery and did receive multiple stab wounds in this incident this morning. And the fire at the house was brought quickly under control, was it? It was. It was. I understand it. It was a wheelie bin was set on fire and uh, that's what uh, alerted the homeowner and... Um, Whatever happened after that is, is still um, in the hands of the guards at this stage. I suppose we have to be careful in what we say. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, so that that will all form part of the inquiry. But thankfully, that the the fire services arrived because um, possibly that man's life has been saved uh, because of it. Oh, oh yeah, they were on the scene within minutes. I mean, you had units from Ballyvillan and the City Fire Brigade on the scene within moments of, of the call coming through at quarter to eight. And I mean, that is basically, as you said, I think their their prompt and swift action has helped to save the life of this man this morning. Okay. All right, listen, Paul, uh, thank you for that. And if uh, any more breaks uh, while uh, we're on air this morning, we'll speak with you later. But in the meantime, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. Now, yesterday on the programme, uh, we were discussing how communities have been devastated by the 165 road fatalities so far this year. And and even the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, is uh, coming out and describing it as a matter of enormous concern. And so with interest, I listened to the Garda Commissioner yesterday. He is calling for enhanced speed trap infrastructure including the introduction of these static uh, cameras. And he also wants a wider use of the average speed cameras. Now, Drew Harris was speaking yesterday at a Rochtis uh, committee and he said more has to be done to combat the rise in the death of drivers, passengers and pedestrians. And he's very much putting the focus of blame on drivers and said that drivers' attitude to speed must uh, change. Uh, change. And also, he does point out there are drivers who are driving unfortunately under the influence of either drink or drugs and that driver's attitude has to completely uh, uh, change. Now he was addressing questions that were being put to him by TDs and senators at the Oireachtas uh, Committee and Drew Harris insisted that the use of speed cameras can make a big difference and he also pointed out it's not a revenue generating scheme. How many times have we heard from listeners who constantly point out that the speed vans are only there to try to make money for the the exchequer. Drew Harris says they're not. 
He said they've already invested an additional 1.2 million in buying extra go safe vans and they're going to be used for the remainder of this year. And also he says the contract for the vans are going to increase next year. So we're going to see even more and more of them out on the street. And he said this uh, is a plan as to and there's a plan now as to where they're going to actually park up those uh, vans. But he said he wants to take that further in terms of developing these strategic and static speed uh, cameras where you will have a speed camera at the beginning of a section of the road and at the end of the section of the road and when your car goes through if you go through and you get to the end camera too fast then they know you have been speeding and you can be caught then. Now one of the TDs was talking about when they place some of these go safe vans in areas you know particularly like long stretches of roads where there hasn't been a number of accidents you know people refer to it as oh, that's just shooting in a barrel shooting fish in a barrel all they're trying to do is raise money and he said that's not the case and he said that when a driver comes to a clear stretch of road just because there hasn't been a report of many accidents on it that doesn't mean that you can start to speed up. So he reckons placing the speed vans there uh, are a good way of catching people and trying to change driver uh, behaviour. He says there's a lot of single vehicle collisions which have fatalities and very often, he says, they are the result of excess speed. And he said the driver's attitude to speed in this country simply has to uh, change. Now, also speaking at the uh, Joint Oireachtas Committee was the Assistant Garda Commissioner, that's Angela Willis, and she said that while there has been a decrease in the number of Gardaí attached to the road policing unit, she said the locations where most of the fatal accidents had occurred had not been in the areas where there had been personnel cuts. She said this year has been one of hurt. It's been a horrendous year on the roads. And she says behind each one of those fatalities is a family. They're your friends. They're your community. And she said as Gardaí, they are extremely mindful of that. And as I mentioned, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar just on Monday when we were talking about the four deaths on Monday he said the fact that there now has been more road deaths so far in 2023 than the whole of last year. He said that is of enormous concern to him and asked if there was a need for more investment in road policing. He says that's one thing that will make our roads safer but he said you have to do lots of different things. So he said increasing enforcement is part of that but he said it's also uh, it's also about additional uh, Gardaí but he said it's also about more of the go safe vans the speed uh, vans and he said they've been approved so we will see more of them on the roads next year but and I thought this was really interesting and certainly one our listeners will agree with the Taoiseach said it's also about improvement on our roads and making sure that they're well maintained how many times when we discuss road fatalities will we have some of our listeners make that point that it's the condition of some of our roads and you know I don't know if there's any evidence there as to how many of the accidents were caused because of poor road conditions but the Taoiseach himself pointing to it we need to maintain uh, our uh, roads and he also went on to say you know they'll be running campaigns reminding people of the kind of behaviours that saves lives on uh, roads and Neil Varadkar said the uh, possibility of more funding 
for the roads budget would be re-examined but he said that will be under review of the National Development Plan. However, he did point out that there was a government commitment that public transport would be favoured two to one ratio over infrastructure in roads when it comes to funding for transport projects. So they're going to have to look at that to see if that is the way forward or if they're serious about maintaining the roads and if they're serious that some of the accidents are caused because of the condition of our roads, then they certainly need to be investing more money in road maintenance. Now, the sale of an historic site by Fault Ireland to a development company has been met with disappointment by some local residents in Baltimore who had hoped it could be turned into a maritime and heritage centre. Reflecting the views of some of those local people is Independent West Cork Councillor uh, Paul Hayes. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. How are you? And very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, this is the former railway station in Baltimore. Uh, firstly, how did it come into the hands of Fault Island? Uh, I suppose, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the old railway station. If you can visualise it, a lovely kind of a coastal red brick, you know, um, heritage style building, very similar to the one actually in, in Cove you know, that they've turned into a, a kind of a museum and, and cafe there on, on the pier side. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, look, it, it belonged to CIE originally. And when the West Cork Railway uh, closed down, it was kind of uh, toing and froing for a little bit. But um, it eventually landed on the desk of Fault Ireland, um, who were kind of given it, essentially, uh, and kind of trusted with it to maybe come up with some sort of a space, you know, for tourism-related uh, initiatives or essentially a, a kind of a community space um, that, you know, the, the public would benefit from. So, yeah, that, that's how it landed at, at Fault Ireland's uh, uh, door. And, really. and had community groups expressed an interest in developing the site? Absolutely, yeah. There was a number of different uh, groups uh, interested in it over the years, uh, and, and one of them in particular was a group called Koosh, uh, and they, uh, again, local people had, had come together and their uh, their idea was to develop it as like a, a maritime museum um, and, and kind of, you know, tell the story about the rich heritage of boat building and all of that that, that went on in, in, in and around Baltimore uh, over the years. And I think, look, it, it got a lot of support and, and they had lobbied the likes of uh, myself and my colleagues in, in the council as well. And, uh, and we got involved in uh, trying to, you know, get the council to maybe facilitate a lease between, you know, the community group and Falls Ireland that would help to progress the project. And how were you getting on with those negotiations? Um, I suppose, look, we, we've been kind of discussing it at council meetings for the last number of years, like and like, like anything with, with maybe Falls Ireland and the council, things don't move quickly. Um, you know, so, like, there was a lot of kind of toing and froing over the last number of years and, 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 uh, and teasing out uh, ideas. And at the same time, Fault Ireland and the council were going back to the community group called Koosh, uh, asking them to maybe provide a business plan and to, I suppose, essentially say, look, you know, are you going to bring some funding to the table to to help to fundraise uh, and or to fund the the project? So, like Koosh were 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 saying, yeah, we're up for this, and they they began fundraising in earnest, uh, and they were kind of given a list of, you know, uh, information and stuff that the council and both the council and Fault Ireland required. Um, you know, to progress a lease. And I suppose, look, we, we were kind of happy that things were progressing away, albeit slowly. Uh, but the community group were coming back to us saying, God almighty, you know, every time we raise a certain amount of money, you know, Falter and they're coming back to us saying, no, you need to raise an extra amount, you know. And I suppose, look, all, all the while, 
the, the, the railway station was, was being left there, I suppose it was falling into a further state of disrepair and, and, and dereliction. Um, you and know, that's, so, that's and what happens with these old buildings when they're just left boarded up. They just fall further and further into disrepair and then it costs even more to repurpose them. Exactly, exactly. And as look, there's, there's no doubt, look, it, it, it would be a, a fairly expensive project. Uh, again, as I said, like it's a listed building, so you can't do, do a whole lot with the outside of it, but it would, it would take, you know, a, a lot of funding. But in fairness to the group, they had been liaising with, as I said, ourselves, TDs, senators, and, and they had got ministerial backing as well. I know uh, Minister M- Malcolm Noonan in particular uh, in the Heritage uh, Department was very, very keen to see a maritime museum uh, progress there because, as I said, look, he, he, you know, he was aware of the project and, and, and the, the rich history of you know, the, the boat building and everything that was going on in the area. And he was kind of saying, look, OK, look, if you guys can organise the lease side of things with the council and, um, and Fault Ireland, look, my department are willing to come in here and, and, and supply um, national funding. As I said, you know, that, that's, that's the level that this... Project was yeah, and the I- ideal location for a maritime uh, museum, I have to say. Now, I do remember back in the summer, it didn't Fault Ireland put the site up for sale with something a guide price of three quarters of a million euro? Something like that, yeah. Again, but they um, weren't expecting the community group to come up with that, were they? Well, look, I mean, as I said, you know, the the, the price was, was going up and up and up over recent years. Um, but, look, as I said, with national funding, it wouldn't have been beyond the, uh, you know, the, the, the group either. They they knew that they were in for the long haul and they were willing to, you know, to, to like, and they had raised a serious amount of funding in their own right, but they had got ministerial commitments, you know, that heritage funding uh, would be made available to them, you know, to progress the, pro- the project. So, Literally, it all hinged on a lease arrangement. And as I said, I and my colleagues in the council thought that things were, were, were moving away along. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we, we got word, and the same as the community group, that actually, no, um, you know, that, that the building was going to be put up for sale. And, you know, it, it, as it transpired, it, it, it was it was sold to a property developer instead, you know. so. And, and do and we know, do we know what are the plans? Um. I suppose, look, anecdotally, the, the word on the ground is, you know, it's it's potentially just maybe kind of luxurious apartments again or something, you know, a residential aspect to it. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to solve, you know, the, the, you know anything to do with the, the housing uh, crisis in the area. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be probably marketed at a level, you know, far beyond the means of, I, I think, any locals realistically, you know. Um, we we realise, obviously, there's, there's a housing crisis out there and... Uh, you know, housing is required, but I, I think from what we, I can gather from speaking with locals, you know, it, it's it's high-end um, apartments and stuff that uh, may be developed there. And look, I suppose, on one hand, it's nice to see something happening with the old building, um, you know, that, that has been left derelict, but it's just the, the potential for what it could have been. Um, for the local really community, yeah. Absolutely. So hu- huge disappointment locally, Paul. There is. P- particularly absolutely. with that group. Yeah, Kush are very, very disappointed, and 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 the community in general. Look, they, they've spent years, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to, I suppose, fundraise and uh, lobby, and you know, just try to progress this project. And you know, they they did it from a voluntary capacity. Um, you know, we we in the council, we we need, you know, people like this who are you know genuine and sincere about progressing a project that will be for the benefit of the whole community and West Cork in general. And that's what we had with, with, with Koosh, you know, that they were 
hugely enthusiastic and they, they spent an awful lot of their, their own you know, time and resources to, to develop these plans and look, some some of the members you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm liaising with are, are almost inconsolable. Like, I mean, mm. they're going, how, how could this have been, you know, just done to them, I suppose, is the way they see it. You know, this, um, you know, it, 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 it almost seems underhand and like, again, you know, I did question that at our at our meeting on Monday. You know the sincerity of the negotiations uh, with with the senior council officials in Falter, and um, you know I, I did ask. You know, were, were the community group being just humoured? You know, and and been you know almost led up a garden path, really. You know, over the last number of years, because look, as I said, some members in the community feel that you know that. The plans, you know, Fall Turn had plans like to, to liaise with a property developer and just to kind of, you know, offload uh, the, the building and, you know, get as much as they can for it. And, and that's what seems to have transpired over the last but, number but of months. But yet they were, they were in discussions with Cork County Council about uh, Cork County Council taking a lease on the property. They were indeed, yeah. And that, that's where we believed everything was still left at. Um, like when, when, when I was liaising with the council officials, they were saying, look, you know, they were getting the information back from Fault Ireland and Fault Ireland wanted, you know, a more robust business plan uh, from uh, the, the community group. And, like, the community group were saying, look, the business plan that they presented originally was accepted and that a lease arrangement in principle was accepted. And then all of a sudden, as I said, over the last number of months, for whatever reason, the whole lot seemed to have unravelled and, look... And how, by the way, how did how did you and other locals find out that it had been sold to a developer? Uh, it, it, again, it was just locally brought to our attention. It, it certainly didn't come before us at a at a council meeting, anyway. You know, um, I co- the council officials since I was making inquiries since all of this news broke. You know, they were saying, "Oh, look, yeah, we we, we were looking at it maybe for." potentially, you know, social housing or providing housing for Ukrainian refugees, but, you know, the, the cost of bringing the, the building up to a decent standard, you know, knocked that on the head. Um, and, you know, they, as I said, they, they seem to be kind of exploring other options, but certainly that wasn't communicated to, 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 to me or my colleagues. Okay, so so it's it's now a fait accompli. I mean, when you brought it up at council level, is there, is there anything the council can now do or is it is it is, is it a fait accompli? Well, it's still agreed on on the building anyway, unfortunately. Um, so it looks like you know that um, you know it's too late, and and, and the council are saying, look, it was Fault Ireland's decision to make. Uh, that the council were were kind of only partners, you know, to, in in some of it, and trying to maybe come up with a solution for what the building might be used for. But you know, the, the officials are saying to us, look, that the buck stops with Fault Ireland, and and uh, inquiries need to be made from them to them, you know, which I have asked that the council would write to Fault Ireland to seek clarification on, on how all of this unravelled when um, we, in, in good faith, and, and the community group were, were were hopeful that, you know, we could progress uh, a much-needed and, and worthy maritime uh, project for, for Baltimore and West Cork. OK, so, well, let us know when you, when you, if you get anything back uh, from them, Paul. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for bringing the background of that story to us. Good morning to you. 
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning. Bye bye. That is uh, West Cork Independent uh, Councillor Paul Hayes. Yesterday, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, introduced new guidelines which were approved by the Cabinet to encourage parents to avoid buying smartphones for children in primary school. The plan is going to be largely based on the example of eight schools in Greystones in County Wicklow. And I'm joined by Rachel Harper, who's principal of St. Patrick's National School in Greystones, who led the voluntary initiative in her area. Good morning to you, Rachel. Good morning. And thank, and thank you for taking time out uh, to talk to us. I suppose, take us back and remind us why you decided to set up this initiative in your area. And it was an initiative that you called It Takes a Village. Yeah, so I suppose in, in my own school um, here in St. Patrick's and Greystones, I could see an increase in anxiety levels in, in some of the kids in the school. Um, and I suppose part of that could have been returning after COVID and, and everything that that brought. Um, but also we had felt, you know, there was various reasons to do with social media, different things that were happening. And, and I suppose parents coming into the office and saying their kids were really suffering from anxiety at home and, you know, finding it hard getting them into school in the morning or to sleep at night. Some of the kids, you know, to look at them during the day, it looked like they were really coping well in school. But, you know, in the evening times, it was really challenging for parents. Um, and I suppose chatting to teachers then as well, that they were seeing something similar to in their classrooms. So I reached out to the other seven principals in the area and I was asking them, were they seeing something similar in their schools? And and they were. Um, So it brought us together and uh, we came up with an idea called, an initiative called It Takes a Village. So we're all working together, the eight schools in Greystones and um, in Dalgany, um, and really promoting positive well-being in the children in our schools, you know, in a collaborative approach. Um, and one of the areas that we're looking at is, is trying to um, campaign for a fundraise for two play therapists that we share between the eight schools. And we just thought this would be fantastic to have a facility to have for the for the schools, you know, for children on that more extreme level with anxiety that they would have, um, you know, weekly access to an expert on site for whether it's teachers to get advice from, teachers to get advice from, parents to get advice from, or children to go and see the therapist themselves. You know, it's just well specialised reports. And then the other side of this then was how, what we can do as a community, what we can do. And um, we sent out questionnaires, finding out more information from parents, and um, teachers, principals. So we're all working together on this. We've come up with um, seven monthly themes that we're working on as a group of eight schools, promoting well-being in our schools. And we're also, we have talks for the parents every month as well um, on the various different topics that we believe will help parents. Um, and also the other side then is where we're working on the smart code, voluntary code. So the parents already knew that for the next 12 months we're really zoning in on promoting positive well-being in their children. So I think that's how it landed so well in Greystones and Delgany. It's part of a bigger uh, community-led initiative. Um, so what we did was we got together as the eight principals. We put together a letter um, just explaining to all the parents in our area in each of our eight schools that we're going to be rolling this initiative out in each of our schools. Um, and I think what was very impactful then was we got everybody's signature. All the eight principals put their signature to the bottom of the same letter that went out to each of the eight schools. So if you got a letter here in St. Patrick's and you thought, Miss Harper's a little bit over the top or very strict here, <laughs> and you got to the bottom and you saw, wait a minute, all other seven principals feel this is the right thing to try and roll out in their schools too. And was it and again, easy to get buy-in from the parents when they received the letter? 
it was because they knew it was part of a bigger initiative and they knew that we're working with them to try and promote, you know, positive well-being and to try and do the best that we can for the kids in our eight schools. And that's what, um, that's what the initiative says, is it does uh, take, take a village. But how did the children react to the smartphone? Because, you know, we've got the ESRI yeah. saying over 50% of nine-year-olds in Ireland back in 2018 own a mobile phone. So how did you get, how did the children react? Yeah, so the the children, again, I think it's all about, you know, talking to the children. It's not just saying taking away or banning. We we hate that word banning. This is a voluntary code. Okay. And we're asking the, the children and parents, you know, to wait until secondary school before they purchase a smartphone. And I think explaining it all to the children um, in, in great detail, that does help that they're, you know, part of this decision-making as well. And I suppose for any of the children that already had a phone, we weren't expecting to take any phones back. I suppose we're, you know, this is for years ahead, you know, chatting to um parents, you know, down the junior end of the school, and they're very fearful at the moment where things are going, you know, and they're saying, when our kids get up to eight, nine, ten, what's it going to be like? Mm. So we felt as a community, we need to do something now, you know, that it becomes the new norm for children down the junior end, that by the time they get up there, they're like, well, we don't get a phone until secondary school. And for children that already have a phone, it's, it's been, there's still been positives there because it's really opened up a lot of conversation between parents and children, uh, between fellow parents and fellow peers as well, chatting about, you know, usage of phones and, you know, are they taken away before the child goes to bed and how much time are they spending? You know, parents are looking into apps now that their children are on, you know. So it's all been very positive. And in fact, we weren't expecting this, but we've had some kids have actually given their phones back to their parents Fantastic. and said, look, you know, Miss Harper doesn't want us to have a phone. We have to wait till secondary. Now, we were not, you know, we're not looking for that necessarily and we weren't, you know, we were quite surprised at that, but but it was great, you know. And there, um, there is research, um, Rachel, out there that mm-hmm. shows that children perform better in school without the distraction of a smartphone. Yeah, there is research. Out, and I, just to note, look, we never allowed children to have phones during the school day, but it was certainly outside of school. Yeah, there's content that children, you know, at the click of a button would always say they have the device in their hand and they, they can just reach adult content. And as a parent said to me here, look, you wouldn't let your child open the door to a room full of strangers and leave them in there, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, by having a phone in their hand, that that is what's happening. And, and kids are curious by nature, you know. Um, they are, you know, different things. We would have, you know, 17 Ukrainian kids here, for example, who are doing fantastic, but there's questions about war. They just have to go online and, and Google that and these horrific images come up, you know, yeah. adult content. Yeah, and I, you know, saw, I, I saw Aileen Hickey, um, the chief executive of Parent Line, uh, obviously mm-hmm. welcoming what Norma Foley announced yesterday Mm -hmm. and she said that the issue of children owning smartphones at a young age actually dominates a huge amount of calls to Parentline. So parents are really Mm -hmm. concerned. Are you you very proud of the fact that your initiative is now, you know, it's it's kick-starting a nationwide debate? Look, we're delighted. We're delighted because I think the strength in Greystones and Delgany here was the eight schools joining together. It becomes the new norm then for the children in our area. You know, if a child from St. Patrick's goes to the tennis club or the rugby club, you know, the Scouts weekend, that they're all the same. And it's it's really um, encouraging to hear, look, this could be rolled out across the country now, that this could be the new norm for children, you know, nationally, that, you know, that they, you know, the children growing up in the in the primary school now will just think, actually, we don't get a smartphone 
till secondary school. And again, I just want to also say that we're not against technology. We're not against smartphones. What we're asking is we're just asking children to wait until secondary school before they purchase it. And I think, you know, the children will really benefit from this. And, you know, while they might necessarily thank us now, I do believe in years to come, they will be, you know, thanking us for doing this and protecting, you know, their their childhood years for that little bit longer. And it's taking away, isn't it, that peer pressure that's put on to parents because everybody else Mm -hmm. in the classroom has one. Johnny has to get one. Absolutely. And parents had come to us and said, look, we rolled it out just before the summer holidays here in St. Patrick's. And uh, then, you know, parents were coming back in September saying, thank you so much, because I had a lot of pressure on me to purchase a phone this summer before my child went into fifth or before they went into sixth. You know, they kept telling me everybody else in the class has a phone towards now. It's a joint, you know, they can blame the schools if they want. You know, we're working in partnership with the parents and everybody feels support the parents are going to feel supported in their decision and not alone in their decision and then it will help teachers and principals in the whole school community by children not having smartphone devices. And I can already see a lot of texts and calls coming in saying well done uh, to Greystones and in particular to uh, Rachel Harper and the rest of the principals. So listen on that note we leave it Rachel. Thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. No problem. Good morning to you Rachel Harper there principal of St. Patrick's National School in uh, Greystones and then someone else says Patricia Kilmean National School in Clonakilty. They brought in a no smartphone buy-in from parents and it was back in 2019-2020 and this sister said she actually spoke with the fantastic principal there at the time, Kenneth McCarthy, and I do remember that. Um, This texter says, my kids go there. There's never an issue when asking for a phone as every year the parents sign up to and agree to it. It is a voluntary code of uh, practice. We were way ahead of Norma Foley in Kilmean, says this texter. Thank you for that. A lot of calls and comments uh, coming in uh, to the programme. First, before I get to some of the issues we've been uh, discussing, Pat in Formoy, uh, was on and this is to do with the situation that's going on in uh, Gaza and Pat is laying firmly the blame for the the, the deaths of the, so many innocent people, particularly children. He wants to blame Hamas and the Palestinian fathers for the deaths that have taken place. He said Hamas told people not to move out of Gaza and because of that people did not move. So he's blaming the fathers in Palestine for giving that advice. Pat says, if it was my family, I would go through barbed wire to get out of Gaza. Who do you blame for staying in Gaza when they should have got out? You would crawl uh, on your belly to get out of Gaza. Uh, In fairness, a lot did move from northern Gaza down to southern Gaza when the Israelis say that they were going to be targeting the northern areas. But the other problem is people can't get out of Gaza now. I mean, we've got, there's about 40, I think, Irish people with Irish passports and there's only one border crossing. That's the Rafa one at Egypt. That's only open for certain times of the day. It's only leaving a limited number of people out. So it isn't just as simple as people getting out of Gaza. They have no way out of Gaza and that is the big, big problem. But who's right and who's wrong? At the, at the end of the day it's just it's the humanitarian side of it that I'm watching and the death and destruction it's just it's horrific it's just I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one I'm finding it really difficult and I'm a news hound I always watch news and I'm just finding it really difficult to watch the images that are coming out from uh, from Gaza they're just they're truly truly shocking 0818 103 103 
on the phones that we mentioned in the last hour and this, the Education uh, Minister moving to try to end the ownership of smartphones by primary school children. Now, it is going to be a voluntary code of practice, but, you know, she's very much saying this is the power of the collective and she's really asking parents to buy into that. Uh, Linda, by WhatsApp, saying uh, thank you so much for raising this issue of primary school children owning mobile phones. I'm ashamed to say that I bought a smartphone for my 10-year-old daughter last year. Why did I buy it? Because she was the only one in her class without it and she said she was starting to feel isolated and I could feel she was even stigmatised by the fact that she didn't have a smartphone. I wasn't happy buying it but I didn't want her uh, excluded. And I think that is one of the issues behind this proposal by Norma Foley and certainly listening to Rachel from Greystones when all of the parents all bought in together it takes away that peer uh, pressure and you know I think the majority of primary school uh, parents are in favour of their children not having a smartphone but if you feel under that kind of pressure that everybody else in the class and your child then can almost get bullied because they don't have what everybody else have I absolutely Linda can understand why you purchased that phone even though it was against what you wanted to do uh, for your child you're not alone I'll tell you that 0818 103 103 and I mentioned during my interview with Rachel from Greystones that Aileen Hickey from uh, Parent Line who are the support group where parents ring Parent Line when they've got problems with their children and they say that there is a huge amount of calls into Parent Line about mobile phone ownership of children and about smartphones and about this issue of is it almost like a rite of passage do you have to buy your children a smartphone because everybody else has one and then you know parents are worried about the effect that the smartphones are having on their children 0818 uh, 103 103 on speeding on our roads and what the Drew Harris was saying yesterday when he was before the Oireachtas committee uh, he's pointing a lot of the finger of blame uh, onto speed he's going to put more go safe fans uh, out there and trying to get people to slow uh, down. Uh, Daniel says, uh, um, Patricia, Gardaí are invisible. If you're travelling from Cork to Donegal, very hard to come across the Gardaí checkpoint. Daniel, not happy with the Road Safety Authority. He said, I think they're fairly useless. They're allowing people to drive for years on learner permits. Daniel also says the courts are too soft. There was a man before the courts just this week. He was caught doing 200 kilometres per hour and he was driving through a COVID checkpoint. He was before the courts yesterday and he didn't face jail for it. Ministers won't tackle these issues, says Daniel. So Daniel again is one is sort of with a number of people who think speed is the issue. But then a Formoy listener says, I was caught just two kilometres over the speed limit in Formoy a few weeks ago by a GoSafe van. The GoSafe van was not in its usual place. Well, I think that they deliberately do that. They deliberately move it around because when people get used to it being in the one place and then they think, oh, it's never going to be here if they do that. They say it's not to catch people. It isn't a money-making racket. Drew Harris is a pains to point that out, but it's to try to get people to uh, slow down. But this for my listener is annoyed because on the same day, his friend admitted that he was doing 70 kilometres at the same place and he wasn't fined. So I don't know how that works. Somebody just over the speed limit gets caught and somebody who was way over the speed limit doesn't get caught. And then there's a really good uh, WhatsApp in from a person who is a driving instructor in a rural area. So, hi, Patricia. It's devastating to hear about the numerous road deaths. I know there are a lot of factors that contribute. Many of them you have highlighted on your programme. But I wish to point out 
that one of the major factors is a weakness in the education of new drivers, most especially the younger ones. In my opinion, the main cause of many accidents is lack of planning ahead and ignorance of how a vehicle behaves under braking power and going around bends without regulating your speed beforehand. Firstly, the weight of the vehicle is transferred to the right-hand side if you're going around a left-hand bend. The higher the speed, obviously the more weight you transfer. Under harsh braking power, the weight transfers to the front of the vehicle. As a result of not planning ahead and regulating the speed on approach, you might find that you have to brake heavily mid-bend. That then destabilises the vehicle, resulting in loss of control as only one wheel is bearing all the weight. So it's not just speed alone, it's understanding the physics are It's ignoring the physics. I try to drum this into learners as well as planning ahead and actively looking for the warning signs and anticipating what hazard may be around a bend. You sound like a wonderful, wonderful driving instructor. Uh, Well done to you. And you are right. And particularly, it's interesting that you say that you're a driving instructor in a rural area. I I certainly whenever and I I spend a lot of time in the West Cork area and I'm always saying, particularly if I'm with somebody who wouldn't be very familiar with some of the roads in West Cork, you never know when you're coming around a bend what you're going to face. And it's the same for any rural area anywhere in the country that you really do need to be planning for what's ahead and to anticipate whatever hazard could suddenly come up around the bend. But that's really good advice when you're when you're driving around a bend to slow down. Thank you uh, for your WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. And then a number of people picking up on my chat with Independent Councillor Paul Hayes, who is bemoaning the fact on behalf of residents in the Baltimore area that the old railway station has been sold to a private uh, developer. Some of your thoughts uh, on that. Uh, Gavin in Skibbereen says... Could they not have used that building as a museum dedicated to the West Cork railway line? There's not very many of the original buildings, the original station houses left. Baltimore is probably one of the only ones others have been demolished or they have been repurposed for other use. Was it ever proposed that it could be used as a museum dedicated to the West Cork uh, railway line? There is always interest in previous transport models. Yeah, And if you go to other countries, there's a lot of investment uh, in old railway lines and yeah I, I don't know if it was ever mentioned uh, anything I've seen about that particular railway station uh, house was that it was maritime it was mainly maritime uh, museum and heritage but I suppose with heritage maybe they would have included something on transport uh, as well and uh, Mary says Patricia thank you so much for giving Paul Hayes time to speak on your programme about the sale of the old Baltimore railway station there was wonderful plans for a school of maritime history heritage and archaeology unfortunately Fault Ireland don't appear to have value in the genuine substance of our heritage perhaps it's part of our national neglect of all things maritime our maritime Maritime history is not even included in any part of our education curriculum. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for that, Mary. And then Councillor Karen Coakley has contacted us. Uh, Karen says, Patricia, I actually brought this motion to the council and Karen was actually the one who was liaising with Falta Ireland 
in the hope that Cork County Council could take over this building and then it would be for the benefit of the community. Unfortunately, Cork County Council said they weren't in a position as the financial cost was simply too high. It was most disappointing, says Karen, as I liaised with Fall to Ireland and felt that it would have been a massive opportunity for Baltimore and its environs. Yeah, and it would have have been a great tourist attraction uh, as well. So yeah, it's a very, very, very disappointing uh, news story for sure. 0818 103 103. And Eilish has contacted us about something. I don't know if this is affecting other landlords or landladies. Eilish says, I rent a house in the North Cork area. The house, Eilish is proud to say, is in perfect condition and tenants are very happy with it. Anyway, the tenants were informed that the house was due to be inspected by the local uh, authority. So some kind of inspectors came in, took a look look at the house and then Eilish as the landlord received an email from an engineer on what now needed to be done to the house, even though Eilish says her house is in perfect condition and the tenants are very happy with it. Anyway, she's been told they need to fit clips on all of the windows so that the windows don't totally open wide. They are required to put smoke alarms in every room in the house. Now, Eilish points out we already do have smoke alarms in the house, but we have them in all of the corridors. We've now been told we have to install them in every room in uh, the house. Now, Eilish contacted us and is wondering, has any other landlords received such letters? Have any other landlords received letters that their house was going to be uh, inspected, particularly across the uh, county? She said the tenants were asked other neighbours who are also private uh, renters and some are actually on HAP and none of the other neighbours in this area, nobody else has received an inspection, it's only Eilish's house. But what really is annoying Eilish is that she says she has children who are renting, they're going to college in the city and they're renting a property in the city and she said her children are living in houses that has got mould and dampness and very much could do with having an inspection. She said how come those type of houses seem to avoid inspection and yet they're targeting a house that Eilish said is in perfect uh, condition and she says no wonder so many landlords are leaving the mark are leaving the market because of the rules and the regulations I mean I, I'm really uh, questioning you know I absolutely know why you need to have smoke alarms in your house but why do you need to have a smoke alarm in every room in your house I mean those of us that live in our own houses we don't have I don't have smoke alarms I've, I've smoke alarms in the hallway downstairs and I have a smoke alarm upstairs I certainly don't have a smoke alarm in every single room of the house so I'm wondering why suddenly a landlord is expected to put a smoke alarm into every house and I don't know what the fitting of the clips on the windows uh, is all about but if that's all that came out of the inspection, Eilish, it does prove that your house is really in a perfect condition. So we'll put it out there to other landlords. Have you been called for inspection by the council and then did you get a letter afterwards with all these terms and conditions? Your thoughts are welcomed, please. Or if you're a tenant, has your house been put up for inspection? And I'm sure there's a lot of tenants listening who would like for their house to be inspect- inspected because work does need doing. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An early years practitioner with FITEC Level 5 in early years education is wanted for Kahula in Bantry. CVs please to Doreen uh, Brady and the email address is emmaz underscore dbrady at yahoo.com. 
Full-time healthcare assistant is wanted for Maria Goretti Nursing Home in Kilmallock. Please apply in writing with your up-to-date CV to admin at mgnh.ie. Hallisey and Partners Solicitors in Bandon, they're looking for a legal secretary with a minimum please of one year experience. CV to info at hplaw.ie or you can post your CV to their office and they're based on 41 South Main Street in Bandon. And a caretaker is wanted to work one day per week at Ballyhas National School. The position is subject to guard the vetting. You can call 022-27937. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now rising mortgage rates mean that savings that householders can make by switching their mortgage has doubled and that's just in the last six months. To discuss the advantages of switching I'm joined by Martina Hennessy, Managing Director of Doddle.ie i.e. the Mortgage Switching Index. Uh, good morning to you, Martina. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose for those who haven't uh, switched up, just outline to us how much more and uh, how much more some of those households have paid, especially just in that last six months. Yes, so Patricia, interest rates, as we as, as well publicised, have increased so much in the last 18 months. But really, in the last six months, we've seen a huge differential in terms of the rates that are offered on market. So the lowest rate available on the Irish market at the moment is a green rate of 3.65%. But for the index, we took a standard rate, so a non-green rate, 3.85 is the lowest rate. And we compared that to what's available, what else is available in the market and what's at the top end. So the highest rate in the market is 715 so the differential between those two rates is 3.3%. So somebody who's paying the higher rate as opposed to the lower rate, which they could achieve, is paying roughly €600 Euros per month if they... Oh, if they if they owe the average mortgage amount, which is three hundred thousand, so if for every hundred thousand that you owe, you're paying two hundred more a month by not reviewing your rate and getting that lowest rate that's achievable. They are big, big savings. They're huge. And for, for most people, their mortgage is their largest financial commitment. So, you know, we all try and save in our utilities and our insurance. But really, the big ticket item for any mortgage holder in general is their mortgage repayment every month. And it's the one thing that as Irish people, you know, we're reluctant to look at. We're reluctant to ask the question of whether you can get a better rate or what's involved. And I think that's such an important question when you're looking at the numbers and when you're looking at the fact that for most mortgage holders, if they're rolling off a fixed rate and there's 50,000 mortgage holders who'll be rolling off fixed rates in the next three years and who are on really low, we were in a really low interest rate environment from 2016 to 2022. So their current rates are so low and they're going to be rolling off into a much higher rate environment, which is going to impact them. You know, addition, there'll be additional payments that need to be made every single month. For example, somebody who locked in on a three-year fixed rate, you know, and is coming to the end of that three-year fixed rate, they'll be on an average rate of 2.5%. They'll be rolling off at close to 5% now because the rates are up around 485 for most of the major lenders in Ireland. And for, you know, a €250,000 mortgage, that's 300 or just over €300 a month extra. So it's the impact of for those people who are rolling off rates. It's those for those people who are on variable rates and now need to fix. It's so important 
importance that you do your research or get market-based advice and look at what rate you can achieve because it's it's money it's out of your net income it's money out of your own pocket and if you can reduce your interest interest adds no value to your mortgage it's really needless so it's worth asking that question if you take 10 minutes to review your mortgage rate it could save you thousands in the short term and am i right in saying that there has been a fall it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Off in the number of people switching mortgages. There has. So Patricia, last year was a bumper year for mortgage switching because Ulster Bank and KBC were leaving the market and it was nearly like a push effect that people thought, OK, I'm going to look at my rate now. And also there was an awareness that interest rates were going to start increasing. So last year was a bumper year for switching. And there's a misconception, I suppose, in the market at the moment that because the rates have increased, there's no benefit to switch. And the index shows that that's clearly not the case, that actually when interest rates have gone up so much, it's more important than ever if you have a mortgage to review your rate and you know and I think a lot of the time it's you know people nearly have a dread of mortgages they've mortgage mm. dread where they think oh god I'm not going to look at that again or I can't or you know my circumstances have changed that's okay you know at, at, at worst if you even contact your existing lender and say what rate am I on when am I going to roll off that rate what would I be offered and is there any better rate available to me now at least if you have that much information you know what's on an option with an option with your existing lender but it's so important to check other lenders on the market to you know most of the market would switch via brokers so brokers would look at all market lenders for you if you just say i don't know where to start get that market-based advice and go to a broker to find out what rate would suit best yeah because your own your own lender is (laughs) while they'll tell you what they have an offer they're not going to tell you that the bank down the road will give you a better offer 
and that's and that's absolutely the case and i suppose you know in ireland all you know 94 percent of new mortgages are drawn down on fixed rates so if you're paying a higher rate for a longer period of time three four five seven years fixed maybe it really really adds up and as you say bank a is not going to tell you that bank b on the next corner has, has a better rate for you and again just the savings that can be made by doing that sense check you know nobody is going to you know tell you what's what would be a better rate for you than you actually going out to seek that information so your bank isn't going to say hey you know this one is really great and sort of you know advising you to move to that you have to ask the question and that's why i would always say it's you know it's it's one of the biggest biggest things you can do to kind of make a financial gain for yourself so it's not as easy necessarily as switching utilities but the benefit that's there by going through the process of firstly understanding if there's a financial benefit by switching and you will only ever switch if it makes financial sense to do so but the important thing i would call out is just ask that question just find out what rate you're on and look to compare it to what's available to you because it's certainly hard to make money and easy to spend it and yeah. this is one area certainly where you can you save but i suppose uh, martina we all remember how stressful it was when we got our first mortgage is i mean all the paperwork that you've got to get together is is it a stressful switching as it was first time round it's so funny, Patricia, because a lot of people associate, obviously, the purchasing of a property, their mortgage with the purchasing of property. When you're buying a house, you're bidding, you're moving, you've all that emotional stress that's involved in it. Whereas with your mortgage, you're switching for a financial gain. OK, and yes, there's paperwork involved. You do have to the bank that's taking on the mortgage needs to see that the mortgage is still affordable so you're, that your circumstances haven't been you know, adversely affected or impacted because they have to a due diligence, I suppose, to make sure that that mortgage is still affordable for you. So there is paperwork that's required, but that paperwork should be readily available. So your bank statements, your e-statements, most people have online banking or access to online banking, your pay slips. And yes, that process involves you spending time to pull those documents together. But again, the financial gain by doing so is worth so it. huge that it's worth taking that time. Absolutely. Okay, some questions coming in from listeners. If somebody has a lower loan to value, are they in a very strong position when it comes to switching? A listener wants to know. They sure are, because what the banks do is they tier their rates by loan to value. And what that means is your loan to value is your mortgage divided by the value of your property. And it will be a percentage. So when first time buyers buy, you know, you know, at the start, they may have a 10 percent deposit. So their loan to value is 90 percent. So as you obviously your property price inflation has nearly been in double digits, uh, you know, around the country over the last number of years. So most people's loan to value has reduced. And the lower your loan to value, the less risk for the bank. So you have more equity built up in your home and you've been paying off your mortgage and your home value has gone up. That will mean that you're eligible for, you know, at the moment, the lower loan to value rates are sub 4%. So which is, you know, a really competitive rate in the current market. So if your home has gone up in value and you're looking at the market and what rates might be offered, you'll certainly be eligible for a lower rate if your loan to value is more positive. Okay, a number of people are picking up on the cost involved in switching a mortgage, including Kay, who says, I would have no problem switching mortgages, but it's the legal costs, nothing to do with the bank. uh, But what about the legal costs they need to come down? 
Yeah, so at most of the lenders, so you have a legal cost because you're taking the title deeds from one lender and bringing it to the new lender. So there is a certification of title that's required and that does involve a legal cost. And we would work with a partner with a bit of a flat legal fee, but generally the legal cost is between 12 and 1400. However, the banks have switcher packages. So the main lenders would all have switcher packages available that would cover your cost. Now those switcher packages can either be a, you know, a set switcher amount of 2000 euros or it can be 2% of your mortgage back in cash when you draw down, just like any new mortgage would get from the providers that have that 2% cash back amount. So for most of our clients, it doesn't necessarily cost them to switch because there is that cash back offer. And again, I would highlight, you won't ever switch unless there's a financial gain. So when we're speaking to our clients, we look at what's the cost to switch and does that make sense over the proposed term for the new rate that you're taking? Yeah, that gets factored in as well. Yeah, because because Andy in in Rathgormick says did exactly what you're suggesting. He said, I rang my bank and they gave me a cheaper green rate. I checked my burr and I was able to obtain this green rate. So it saved me without even switching banks. I did then inquire with other banks, but the new green rate with my current lender was the cheapest and suited me best. Absolutely. I'd nearly, I'd nearly be able to hazard a guess who that was with that. Because <laughs> I suppose the thing, the thing is, you know, you have to ask that question. And, and in particular, if you look at the difference between the green and the non-green rates with the banks, there's probably about 1% of the difference. So even looking at, say, a five-year fixed rate, okay, the green five-year fixed rate, for example, with AIB is 3.75%. The the green, the non-green rate, same five-year is 4.8. So that massive difference by asking the question makes so much sense. And green rates are the lowest rates that are available on the market. So, so many people have improved their their building energy rating. There's so many green loans that was, you know, issued over the last six months that if you carried out home improvements, if you'd made the investment to improve the energy efficiency of your home, you can absolutely look to see if you can um, to, to get one of those green rates. If your lenders, because some lenders don't offer green rates to existing business customers. So if you're one of those lenders who has a green rate but don't offer it to you, you can look to switch to get that better green rate and there's certainly one to watch out so be your very important if you're a homeowner and you can get to that B3 level Okay another text in Hi Patricia could you ask Martina if you have money in the bank would we be better off paying off our mortgage rather than leaving money in the bank on such low interest rate and inflation eating away at the savings yeah, it's always it's always a tricky one. So it's great to have money in the bank, okay, but what's what to do with it and the return you might get, and it's a different question. So I suppose it depends on that that listener's overall circumstances. So if you feel that you've a buffer there, your your pension, you have paid enough into your pension, etc., you're going to be looking at your overall financial goals. And for most people, they do want to clear off their mortgage. You get to a certain age, you know, where I'm at the stage now where years ago, a decade ago, I'd be saying, How much can I borrow? Now I'm like, how do I get rid of it? So you get to a stage where you want to actually, you know, clear down your home loan and have that security. I would say it depends on your overall financial circumstances but if you feel this money sitting there, you do not need it for another purpose. You know, interest rates have increased so the cost of funds is higher and therefore it can make sense, you you know, to, to clear that extra amount off your mortgage and to overpay to reduce. It has a massive impact if you can afford it, has a massive impact on the overall interest that you repay. So again, even somebody who can put in an extra 500 euros a year, anything that you can overpay on your mortgage to bring it down yeah yeah exactly the name of the game is to get it down okay and a number of people who are on tracker mortgages wondering should they give up the tracker mortgage yeah, it's been a, such a tricky time for tracker mortgage holders. Rates have increased 
10 times in the last 18 months. So those track and mortgage holders will have seen their rates increase and there are payments. They get letters in the door practically every two months to say your rate is going up, your payment's going to be X. So they'll probably have made a decision as to whether they should switch or not or they still have it, that ongoing decision and, and a conundrum as to whether they should or not. So at the moment, the ECB rate is 4.75. That's the base rate. And you'll always, as a tracker mortgage holder, have a margin to that. So the average margin to the ECB rate for tracker mortgage holders in Ireland is 1.15%. So that would mean the tracker, average tracker mortgage in our, our holder in Ireland has a rate of 5.9%. So when you look at what other rates are out there at the moment, you can fix for life, right, with the likes of Avon Money from a rate of 3.95%. So your whole mortgage term can be fixed. So somebody who's on a tracker paying 5.9%, having experienced those rate increases, the, the, the Avent rate, say, at 395 will look immensely attractive. But it depends on a number of circumstances. The primary one being affordability. If you're saying, I cannot be at the behest of the ECB and what they might do, if rates might go up or when they might come down, and you say, I want to know what I'm paying, then you should look at fixed rate options. But it's very individual. It comes down to whether you really feel that having withstand all the rate increases to date, can you hold tight now on the basis that, you know, rates should come down at some point. The question is it's when. when. And really, yeah, and really a lot of tracker mortgage holders have considered and thought long and hard about this and said, am I better off being linked to this ECB rate as opposed to being, you know, at, at the best of what the Irish lenders might offer? And that's a very valid question, because if you move off your tracker and you move on to, say, a three year fixed rate, because in the short term, it's 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 more affordable or it's a lower rate. You have to look at, you know, if you have you know, 12, 15, 18 years left, because some mortgage holders, tracker mortgage holders still have those kind of types of terms left. If you do have that length of time left, are you better off if you can weather where you are now in terms of what you're paying? Are you better off to hold or or, or or fix and you'll forsake your tracker by fixing. So what will come after the end of the fixed period? So it's definitely individual advice. There is merit in looking at fixed rates, given the differential between, again, the average tracker mortgage holder and what rates are on the market. But it's something you probably need to action if you're going to action it, because, you know, there is the expectation that Irish mortgage rates could increase even more than where they are now in terms of the short and medium term fixed rates in the in the coming months. Yeah, you're a mine of information as always, Martina. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. So Good morning to you. That is uh, Martina Hennessy of uh, Doddle.ie. Cove Community Centre will host a free swap shop event. It's happening this Saturday for anybody who's looking to refresh their winter wardrobe. To find out more, I'm joined by the organiser of the event and that's Cleena O'Halloran, who is the Green Party's rep for uh, Cove. Good morning to you, Cleena. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. I love the idea of this swap shop, I have to say. So go back and tell me what prompted you to organise the event. They're becoming more popular. And I'm also a master's student in sustainability in UCC. So I've, I do a lot of research into sustainability issues. And fast fashion is one that just spans environment and society. And, and I think it's something that um, we, we as individuals can um, very easily play, play, a part, play a part in fixing you know so um yeah just there was none locally I, I i go to a kids one regularly there's a regular kids one in cove um but there was none for adults so i said i'll get one up and going and, and see how it goes and hopefully we can do it on a regular basis okay so just one. just outline to people what what items for example can people bring along on saturday 
So just uh, clothes, we're saying no underwear um, for obvious reasons and no shoes. Some places do shoes, but we're going to do no shoes this time. Um, so just uh, any, well, focus on the winter wardrobe, because that's what we're recall, kind of refreshing at the moment. Five items that are in really good condition that they feel they no longer wear. Bring them along. Um, I come along at 1 p.m. My team of volunteers will organise them into their categories. And at 1.20, then we'll declare the shop open and you can take then as much as you like. And in between, we'll serve tea and coffee. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Now, and is this, because, as you say, and I am aware of the children's one, uh, this is for, is this adult clothing only? Adult only. Adult sizes only. So it might yeah. be late teens and, and adults. Yeah. All shapes and sizes? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, sure. it's men and women. Yeah. 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 It's so it's just um, God knows we could all do with cleaning out our wardrobes. This is an opportunity to move on some of the items. And at the same time, as you say, take back something that, you know, you will wear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 90 percent of my own wardrobe in the last two years has been from either charity shops, swap shops or that I've bought pre-loved from other people well or swapping with family. And I, I get a great kick out of it. I used to get, a, obviously, a great kick out of retail therapy in the past until I realised how problematic like fast fashion is. Um, but now I, I actually get a kick out of finding a really good pre-loved bargain, something that I love and wear. And then I, and I try to make my clothes last a bit longer as well. And did you make a conscious decision a few years ago to go down that route? I did. Yeah, I did. I started off slowly, I'd say it was two years ago. The first year I was maybe like 50-50, but in the last year, um, certainly 90%. I did buy something new recently that I felt I couldn't get pre-loved and I shopped locally then. I think it's important if you are buying something new that you're supporting local businesses. Like technology and the internet, uh, you know, we're very exposed to these very multinational, large, fast fashion very, very cheap clothes that are made in, in China in or, or India in really poor conditions. People are not paid a proper wage. So if you're buying something for one or two euros, you can you can imagine that the person who's physically making that product is not getting a very but, good But also, also Kleena, you'll, you'll, you'll know the quality in it is, oh, it's, it's almost like some of the quality, what is this, use it once and then get rid of it. I mean, some of it is, is hideously bad quality, but you're right. I always think of that point. If I see something that's on sale and it's a euro or two euro, you're thinking, how much is the person making that after mm. getting and and, you know, it's it, it's slave labour goes on in, in a lot of that fast fashion. And we do just because it's not happening under our noses, we do need to be aware that that it is happening. But do you find, Kleena, that more and more people are using charity shops, particularly younger people? Oh, younger. Absolutely. And uh, they, they are. They're really younger people are ahead of us in many ways. Yeah. Um, and the universities like swap shops are so popular. Um, charity shops are are busier than ever, which is great to see. Um, even though they're kind of overwhelmed, they get so much stuff, and a lot of it, like that, is is cheap and it's badly made, and, and ends up going to landfill anyway. But certainly, this is I think there's a there's a big culture change happening, um, and in our approach to fashion. And there's nothing like finding a real gem in a charity shop or at a swap shop. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I got a coat. Picked up a coat once for 30 euros. And when I did a bit of research online, 
it was originally 150 euros. Well spy, done. Well and done. it is the warmest thing. So <laughs> well done. Well done. And actually, if, if you were a regular um, in charity shops, people hand in stuff that's new because people buy items for whatever reason and then, oh, it doesn't fit. Or I'm not going to wear it. And it ends up in the back of the wardrobe. And then when they eventually have their clear out, it comes out with the tag and all. So you can pick up new exactly. items um, in, inside in, in a charity shop as well. So you're simply saying to people, turn up on Saturday morning, uh, Cove Community Centre. Cove Community Centre at one o'clock. Yeah, come along. Um, bring your bring your bits, and uh, at one twenty, we'll declare the shop open. Have a tea and coffee. We're selling tea and coffee in the meantime, just to cover the cost of the room and any excess. Then we'll give to one of the charities supporting uh, people in Palestine. And also, there's um, MEP Grace O'Sullivan has a regular one in her office in Cork, and I know there's another one in Marina Marina Market. And Grace is bringing hers to Mallow on Thursday the 17th of November from 5 to 7pm. So, you know, they're they're locally, they're around the place. I think if you're looking for one near you, um, do a Google, you'll find one nearby. And if anyone is thinking of doing their own and wants some tips, then feel free to reach out to me. Well done. Well well done. Listen, uh, good luck with it, uh, Cleana. And I hope you get some nice items yourself as well. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Bye bye. That is uh, Cleana O'Halloran, who's organising that swap shop in uh, Cove next Saturday morning. If you'd like to go along, she's the Green Party rep for Cove. And actually, I also got an email in from Kionato Sulawan on behalf of Dara Community Centre to say they're having a pop up shop with new and nearly new clothes, shoes, bags, books, bric a brac, and other items. And that's been held in Dara Community uh, Centre that's near Ring in Clonakilty. That's happening on Saturday and Sunday of this weekend between 2 and 5 on each of the days if you want to go along. It's Wednesday so that means Peter Dowdle will be joining us later on in this hour. If you've got a question for Peter Dowdle, something in the garden's gone wrong or you're doing some kind of planning for the garden for the future, get your questions in 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking the calls or if you want to text or WhatsApp you can to 086 2103 103. Some of your cause and comments coming in. Number of people have reacted to Eilish who contacted us earlier. She is renting a house that she says is in perfect condition. Her tenants are really happy with it but she got an inspection by the council. The council now have come back. She has to put clips on all of the windows so the windows can't fully open and she also has to put smoke alarms into every room and she was wondering why has she been picked out for this inspection because she said her daughters who are in college in the city and they're renting and she said some of the houses that her, her daughters are living in uh, they're full of damp and mould and why are they not getting an inspection and she feels almost like she's been picked on well Eilish I can tell you by the flurry of calls and activity we've had in since I mentioned your comment you're not on your own Kate in Ballyclaw says she lives in a council house and only in the last three weeks the council came in and they have actually installed smoke alarms in every room so this must be something that they're doing right across the council properties uh, as well uh, because I was querying why you would need a smoke alarm in every room. Karen says she's also a landlady and she rents uh, a house and she reckons under the HAP scheme they always come in and inspect the property. Andy said I rent an apartment in the city and like Eilish who contacted you it is in very good condition. Our tenants 
tenants also received one of those letters saying that the apartment would have to be inspected. Hasn't taken place yet, but it's due to be inspected next month. Andy, will you let us know how you get on with the inspection? I'd be interested to see because obviously if you're in the city, you're under the city council. So I'd be interested to see do they ask you to do anything on the actual apartment? Because Paul is in Watergrass Hill and he has an apartment that he is now renting out. He bought it about 15 years ago, then got into a relationship, got married and has bought a house. But he decided to hang on to the apartment and he's been renting it uh, out. Out of nowhere, said Paul, the tenant received this letter saying the apartment was due for an inspection. They came in, they inspected. Now, Paul said there was some issues with the apartment block, but on Paul's apartment itself, they asked Paul to clean the air vents. He also had to install smoke alarms in another part of the apartment outside of the bedrooms. He already had smoke alarms installed. It's under the city uh, council. But he said, like Eilish, it isn't under HAP. It's a privately rented uh, property. But he says his tenants became really worried when they got a letter in saying the house, the apartment was going to be inspected because they got on to Paul and thought that Paul was selling it up and that's why it was being inspected and it said it really caused unneeded worry for his tenants because but he said he knew nothing about it it just came out of the blue now he was able to say look nothing to do with me but we need to go ahead with the inspection but he did have to do things then that the council inspect, inspection found uh, wrong and then just on this thing about having a, a smoke alarm in every house somebody said I'm not sure about rental accommodation but all new houses must have a fire detection device in all rooms. Smoke, heat alarm. It has to be wired with an RD415 fire rated pink cable. No idea what that is, but obviously whoever sent in that text is someone in the, in the know. So that's obviously part of the new building regulations that all new homes must have smoke alarms in uh, every house. But I don't know, is that the general advice? Because we normally every year on Fire Safety Week, we do advice about you know, making sure you check your smoke alarms. I don't know if I've ever heard that advice that every single room in the house needs to have a smoke alarm. And then Brendan was listening to Eilish about her inspection and wondering why she was being picked on. Brendan says, will you ever tell Eilish she's actually very lucky that this is her first inspection? Brendan has had about 12 inspections on different properties. And I don't know how many homes Brendan is renting out, but he said 12 inspections in total. And he said the what Eilish got back, he said every single one of his houses that was inspected, the same thing. They had to put on these clips onto the window to stop them opening fully. And the reason for that, says Brendan, it's child safety locks and they want them on all rented properties. He also had to put in uh, smoke alarms. They also asked him to bore a hole through a wall in a kitchen. That was to give proper ventilation in order for him to get a ventilation cert. He had to get an electrician in to do the work, etc. And he said the child locks have to be on all of the windows, even though in some of the properties there's only two adults living there. But it doesn't matter whether there's children living there or not. They insist on these child safety locks on all windows. So that's the reason for the eclipse. Thank you for that, Brendan. Brendan says to Eilish, you're lucky you've only had one inspection. Like dare I say so far. 0818 103 103. And then we were talking about smartphones earlier and the education minister has uh, 
has gone with the move to try to end the ownership of smartphones by primary school uh, children wait until they get into secondary school and she's calling on parents to very much buy into this idea and it will be a voluntary code of practice but she's hoping the parents will buy in. Here's a really good text in from a listener showing why some children need to have a smartphone. Texas says, Patricia, a child with type 1 diabetes does not have a working pancreas, so must use medical devices which help to manage this life-threatening condition. Many children with type 1 use something called a Dexcom so that they can keep, they must keep their smartphone with them at all times. The Dexcom feeds data to their smartphone and it gives frequent updates on blood glucose levels which fluctuate obviously constantly with type 1 diabetes. This information is essential and it can be life-saving as they can tell the child when carbohydrates are needed to keep them alive and it's minute by minute. The idea of taking their smartphone would strike terror into the heart of a parent whose child has type 1 diabetes and I don't think in any way with these uh, guidelines that are being issued by the department that in any way they would be asking any child with a type 1 diabetes or any other medical condition that you needed to have your smartphone with. Of course there will be exceptions to the rules and rule. And in fairness to um, Norma Foley, like she's not against technology and she's not against completely a ban on all phones. I mean another listener has said why don't parents give their primary school children a phone that just makes and receives calls? Move away from the smartphone because children need to be able to contact uh, adults for safety reasons and many parents feel safer knowing that their child has a phone. And for sure, I mean, I, I think uh, what, what's going on here is to do with uh, smartphones and the concerns around smartphones. Think about your own smartphone. It is a computer in your hand and therefore you're putting a computer which has access to the internet into the hands of uh, children. And when you're talking about primary school children, you're talking about children under the age of 12 and the evidence is there. It increases the risk of cyberbullying. It's exposure to violence, sexual content and also it impacts on sleep if they're allowed to go to bed with these smartphones or if they're on them too much. So, you know, I think, yes, I think if, if a parent feels that they need to be able to contact their child, a very simple phone, not a smartphone, would certainly be the uh, answer. And I mentioned Gaza earlier on when somebody was pointing the finger of uh, blame at Hamas for what is going on. Somebody uh, says, Patricia, the world did not notice the threat to Jewish people during World War II until horrific, inhumane atrocities were committed against them. Now some people in the world refuse to recognise that there is a real threat to the Jewish people by another deadly terror group who say they want to destroy the Jewish people. This is a complex situation. And when people talk about freeing occupied Palestine, they mean taking over all of Israel too. This is not just about the Gaza Strip. Yeah, listen, it is such a complex, complex uh, issue. And there's right and wrong on both sides. But I go back to the point I made uh, earlier. It's just from, it's man's inhumanity to man. And it is watching uh, innocent men, women and particularly children suffer who just want to live a very peaceful life. It's That's the part I find uh, so difficult. But yes, it is a very, very complex uh, situation. 0818103103. Keep your gardening questions coming or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. 
Clonakilty Special Olympics are hoping for a good attendance at their follow-up meeting. Now, it's on tonight at 8. It's in the local community centre. They're particularly appealing for people. If you were a member before that you'd like to renew your expired membership, you can email renewal at specialolympics.ie, but also looking for people who are new and interested in becoming a volunteer. Email munster at specialolympics.ie or simply turn up tonight 8 o'clock in uh, Clonakilty in the local community youth centre. Well-known historian John Mulcahy will tell the story of the Republic versus Bridie McKay, the spy who survived the Troubles. It's in Kofa House, Church Street in Shandon. Uh, Tonight starts at half past seven. All are welcome. And Kildallery Drama Group are presenting Spilling the Beans. It's the hilarious sequel to Second Confession by Paddy Heffernan. It opens tonight and it runs nightly at eight up to and including next Sunday at the store in Kildallery. Tickets are 12 euro for adults and under 16s 5 euro. They're available from the community office or Thornhill's opticians and proceeds from tonight are going to the Cork Arc Cancer Support Group. Tomorrow, Kildallery Community Development will hold their weekly lottery draw. That's tomorrow afternoon with a jackpot of €11,100. While McCroom Flower and Garden Club will host a gala charity floral demonstration, a winter wonderland. It's by Janet Maddock of IFA. It is on tomorrow at 8 in Coolcar House in McCroom. And Paddy Ryan of the Mitchellstown branch of Concern will hold a fundraising coffee morning in aid of Concern this Friday from half nine to half twelve. It's in the Hunter's Rest in Mitchellstown and your support would be gratefully appreciated. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Earlier today I was talking with Martina Hennessy of uh, Doddle.ie and giving words of advice to people who've got mortgages on the possible way that they could save money and with a cost of living crisis everybody's trying to do their bit to save uh, money. But Eleanor joins me and unfortunately is not able to save money on her motor tax. Good afternoon to you Eleanor. Good afternoon, Patricia. Oh. Thank you for listening. You're very good. Oh, Cher, you, you, you've got an older car. This is what the problem is. Yes, I have an older car and a lot of people have uh, an older family car similar. Yeah. Uh, and I'm paying tax on a three-monthly basis. But if you have a 1.6 car, which it is, uh, you pay €514 Euro per year for to tax the car. But my son, the newer, uh, I think it's 2013, it's a different model, a BMW, which is a two-litre car, and he pays €200 Euros a year. But also in relation to my own situation, the €514 Euro that I pay, I pay it on a three-monthly basis, and I have to fork out €145 Euro, and there's a huge discrepancy between the €66 Euro between the 514 that I'd be in the position to pay in a one-self payment, which I'm not, and similar with a lot of families, I presume, in the current economic situation, the, the 66 euro extra just to have it done over the three-monthly period. But it has to be NCT on a yearly basis uh, rather than the two years for the newer thing. And the car in particular that I'm talking about has passed it nine times out of ten in the last um, amount of years. Um, And it's gauged according to the pollution and stuff. And it's 
fits into those limits because there was a specific limit set for the year of manufacture of the car. Yeah. And so, it, it, so you, your point is, it's almost like the, the road tax discriminates against people discriminate. who have an older car. And the majority of people who have older cars are people who'd love the idea of buying a newer car with less emissions, but you can't afford to do it. Yes, but I mean, as well as that, they base it on when you go for your motor tax and when they put the government put the tax on the car initially, it's based when you go to NCT and if you read your NCT report, it's based on the emissions of the car in 2005, 2008 or whatever they were. Yeah. But they changed the system somewhere between 08 and 09. Yeah. And the newer cars have lower emissions, apparently. And they but pay I mean, less road tax. there's huge discrepancies between a 05 and a 013 or whatever they're called that you could end up paying, which I am, because as I said, my son is paying 200 euros for a two-litre BMW. And I'm ending because I have to pay it on a three-monthly basis. I can't pay, afford to pay 514 euros up front. But when I do it in the three quarters, uh, the four quarters, costing me 580 which is nearly yeah. three times the cost of the BMW and I mean and it's a bigger engine a much bigger engine yeah so I mean I definitely feel discriminated against this but I don't think there's anything we can possibly do I know it has been spoken about before but it's getting to the stage now with the modern um you know the way that the cost of living and all the rest of it is doing most people can't afford to go up and they're stuck in an anomaly where they've got to pay, pay up or don't drive on the road. And I mean, a lot of people um, are talking about it and they're saying like that could be part of the reason why people are evading road tax. And they're saying that the road tax is going for repair of roads. I mean, any car, whether it's 2 litre, 2.5 litre, 1.6, 1.4, even a 1 litre car it only has four wheels. And the same wear and tear is happening uh, as regards the roads as well as the cars, if you understand. I do. And I always, I think your point on paying the road tax every three months, so you, you pay it four times a year. I have always felt that that was very unfair, that that was more expensive, a more expensive way to do it. Because the very fact that somebody is only paying it every three months, it's because they're on a tighter budget and this is the way they can afford to pay their road tax and you have to, by law, pay your road tax. I can't understand why it's so much more expensive. I mean, an extra €145 Euro for you just to pay it every three months. I think it should be the same price, whatever it is, for a year. It should be divided by four and that's what you should be paying every three months. Yes, and even if the cost of the postage, uh, if you do it online, I don't know what the charges will be due, but I, I, I don't work online. I do it in the post. And I mean, €66 it's a lot. Of, it's an awful lot. Yeah, it's for, a lot of for, money. For, 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 for what, like? Yeah, it's you a know, lot. I and mean, particularly in today's day and age with everything going up. Yes, but I mean, even if they charge you, you say, an extra 10 euro for the postage. Yeah. Or whatever that goes out. But I mean, 66 euro. It's a lot. It's an awful lot. It's a lot. And you're not on your own. You're not. There's a lot of people in the very same boat paying huge amount of road tax because it is an older car. And as you say, it's a smaller engine than your son's car. And, and your son is paying way less 
than what you pay? Nearly, nearly a third. Then the third, I'm yeah. Paying a th- yeah. Like he's paying two hundred euros a year, and you're you're paying five hundred and. If I if I if I pay it over three months, if I had a lump sum, it's five hundred and fourteen euros. Which you're paying, which is still more than two and a half times um, what, what he's paying. Yeah, it's unfair. All right, listen, uh, thank you for that. And as I say, a lot of people, I think, will agree with you on it. Uh, but happy motoring and stay safe. And thanks for joining us, Eleanor. Thank you very uh, much Good afternoon to you. 0818 uh, And someone just, this is on the having the smoke alarm in every house that's coming up on inspections for private uh, landlords. Somebody says, uh, uh, Jeannie uh, says, Patricia, I've just had my old house rewired. And yes, every room has to have a smoke alarm wired into the electric system. They have to do it now. It's by law. Okay, thank you. I didn't realise that. So that's why all new properties are a house that's getting rewired. Must have smoke alarms. And obviously the council now are introducing it as well when they're doing inspections on private rented accommodation. But as Eilish says, she can understand why some landlords are getting out of it if they feel they're not making any money out of renting the property and all they're left with is having to do uh, extra things in the house. 0818 103 103. Let's turn our attention to gardening. Have you a question for Peter? Get them into us, please. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? And, and very well. And you're very welcome to the programme. Let's get straight into uh, questions. Peter, please. I have a hydrangea, completely green and very healthy looking, but it didn't flower this year. Should I cut it back now? I'd say possibly the fact that it didn't flower is maybe because it was cut back a bit too hard last year. She doesn't say whether either he or she doesn't say whether it was cut back hard or, or not last year. I suspect that's probably that it was and that's probably the reason it, it didn't flower. So if you're going to cut it back now, um, well, first of all, I probably wouldn't. I'd wait till the other side of the winter, but I wouldn't give it a hard cut back. I'd only really trim it um, and perhaps do nothing at all to it and just see if it flowers next year. And then we, if it doesn't flower next year and you don't trim it this winter or early next spring, then we'd have a, another thing to look at. But I'd say probably leave well alone. If you need to cut it back, just trim it. OK, and here's one of these questions that there's probably an endless answer to. Uh, hi, Peter, would you, uh, hi, Patricia, would you ask Peter, what shrubs or flowers are best to put in pots? It's in a grotto area and looking for some winter colour. Well, if you want something for winter colour in terms of shrubs, I'd look at things like skimmia. So the skimmia is a beautiful one, Trish. You probably know it. You'll, you'll see it if, if it's not already all over garden centres. It will be soon because it's kind of synonymous shrub for Christmas. It's in bud during the winter, which, which may sound not what you want, but it's actually the bud of the buds of the skimmia are just as attractive during the winter uh, as the flowers which open up in the spring. Now, the, sp- the flowers will start opening in kind of February time, lovely white scented flowers. But the, the skimmia in full bud during winter you can always you can also get skimmias that are full of berry, uh, which will look lovely during the winter months. Uh, Calicarpa is another fabulous buried one. It's a purple buried one, which would do well in a big pot or a big container. Um, looks lovely this time of the year as well. Uh, in terms of berries too, you could look at things like pernetia, which are very low growing, suited to a small pot. Uh, and then if you wanted some flowers for colour, look at look no further than winter heathers. Uh, Irish grown winter heathers are amongst the best we can give to the bees and other pollinators. And they give great colour. Um, so you have a lot to, you have a lot mm. to choose from there, really, still. 
Okay, I suppose it depends on the size of your pots uh, uh, as well. Okay, gardening question. Hi, Peter. If the grass is dry, which I know is rare at the moment, is it okay to take to give it a bit of a topping? I'm not talking about skinning, the, completely cutting the grass down. The ground is okay to use the mower on and I'm not talking about ploughing it all up. I hate looking out my kitchen window at it at the moment and I'm thinking if I could get a cut in now, would it make it easier for the first cut of spring, which is only around the corner, please God, says this texter. Well, well, yes and yes is the answer. It's absolutely fine to still cut your lawn and you can give it more than a little a little toppy. I mean, I'm, I'm itching to get out and give my lawn a cut, but of course we can't because as she said at the start, uh, when do we get dry weather? So it's not just that the weather needs to be dry, but the grass ideally needs to be dry and the ground shouldn't be kind of boggy and waterlogged. So where and when that's going to happen, I don't know, because like if, if you go over, if you start cutting the lawn, uh, uh, and the ground is waterlogged. The tires will start to leave kind of divots or ruts and that in the in the in the lawn. So you know it's not well, it's not really damaging. It's not great. Uh, it, we shouldn't be using any machinery on on saturated ground. So the short answer or the long answer, whichever way you look at it, is you can still cut the lawn, but it's just a question of when. Um, I don't know. And yes, it will make it easier in the spring because it'll be less growth to, to, to before the first cut. You st- but you still have time to do at least one, if not two more cuts, I would say, in 2023. OK, let's stay with problems with grass. Uh, Paul says, we moved into our new home about two years ago. The problem is the back garden. It is like a swamp whenever it rains. Uh, we have two boys who love to play football, but they really can't play out there at all because the ground is like a swamp. We did put extra topsoil on it, but that didn't seem to make any difference. What would be Peter's advice on a waterlogged back garden? The advice depends on the, the reason, Trish, and it's impossible to say, obviously, without being there. So uh, w- when the ground is boggy or swamped like that, it's one of two reasons. It's either caused by soil compaction, which is, as it sounds, where the soil has been compacted normally due to overuse of, uh, of machinery. So it doesn't say whether that house is a new house or an old house, but with a lot of new houses, and when I say new, I mean in the last 20 years, um, you'll have soil compaction issues which is where you might have had JCBs and excavators and trucks driving over the same bit of soil, which just leads to compaction. Uh, and then you put, you, you know, they might put a skim of topsoil over it, uh, or it doesn't really matter how much topsoil you put over it. Um, and then you put the grass seed down on top. Then the soil underneath is compacted so the water can't drain away. So it just bog- it becomes boggy. Now, if that's the issue, that is fixable, if you like. You can improve the soil structure uh, by adding more organic matter into the soil, by digging it over and putting in either fresh soil to, to, to break up the compacted pan uh, and adding grit and things like that. That will, will help. It's quite a big job, but that will should fix the problem. However... If it's caused by a water table issue, in other words, if the water table is simply just as high as ground level there, then I'm afraid there's nothing you can do. Then you're working with nature. It's it's so it really does depend on what the cause of it is. Um, hopefully, it's a bit of compaction where putting in some drains and and improving the the soil structure would help. But if it's if it's the water table, then I'm afraid no. You've just got to to work with it. Okay, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer, all right, particularly if you've got boys who want to get out and, and, yeah, and play, absolutely. And big play problem. football. Okay, uh, Charlie has a problem with his Grisolinia hedge. Now, it was damaged in a storm going back a few years ago. He said the leaves are still growing, but there is a lot of dead wood in parts of the hedge. Any suggestions as some of the roots are starting to become loose? 
Okay, if it's storm damage like that, so certain, first of all, try and firm up the roots as much as possible. A couple of wheelbarrows of soil and, and dance a jig on top of it to try and really firm them back into the ground uh, and prune out any of the dead wood. So anything that's still brown or dead now, just prune it out. And I mean, grisselinia will regenerate in no time at all. So it will fill in the gap quickly. So, so just remove the brown growth, the dead growth, uh, and just tr- firm the root ball in as best you can. Okay, and Carmel in Cantork has ivy that's spreading all over the wall. That's fine, but she said it's now taking over and killing other plants in the garden. How do you control ivy in a garden? No magic wand to it, I'm afraid, except just getting out there and doing it. So you just, ivy and all climbing plants, I mean, ivy is particularly important in terms of biodiversity, but climbing plants are great in that they'll climb and they'll cover walls for us. But the problem is that they don't stop just when where you want them to. And they will keep going. And as she's discovering smothering other plants, I'm afraid the only way you can control it is get in. And it's a, it's a, an annual maintenance job that you'll have to cut it away from the other plants. So just go, go in and cut it. Like if it's going up the wall of a house, you don't want it going into to gutters or downpipes or, or window frames, obviously. So you need to go up on a ladder and, and cut it back from those areas. Same if it's growing into other plants, just, just cut it away from them and, and rake it back. Okay, and someone else is looking for advice. They're considering next year dedicating part of the garden and allowing it to go wild. Uh, What do they need to do between now and the springtime? There's several ways you can do that, and I'm delighted to see it. And the, 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 it should be absolutely be encouraged. The first thing is absolutely do nothing at all. And just you know, you've heard lots of people have heard the term now rewilding, uh, and the, the, if you're rewilding, you just do that, let it go wild, do nothing. Now that may not give you your your picture postcard wildflower garden, if you like, but it will give you a wild Irish uh, wild area, which is, you know, probably the most important. If you want to sow your own wildflower seeds, um, remove the existing vegetation. Wildflowers will do better on poor soil, nutrient poor soil. So remove the existing vegetation. So don't add any fresh compost or feed or soil or anything to the area uh, and get some some Irish or wildflower seeds and, and spread them on that area. It's too late now in the year for, for now. Spread them in, in kind of February, March of next year, Mar- February, March, April of next year uh, and let them come on. Uh, and when you put down your own wildflower seeds, Trish, it's not an instant. Uh, you won't see it. You, well, you will see an instant effect in that you'll see most mixes will have a mixture of annuals, biennials and perennials, which means that the first year after you put down the wildflower seeds, you'll have a lot of colour from the annuals like poppies and things like that as they flower and then in the second year you'll see your biennials and more annuals coming your foxgloves will start things like that uh, and then in year three onwards you see the beginning of the perennials uh, beginning to flower so it's very it looks very different in year one and year two and year three it's not going to look the same every year but it is something to, to, to be patient with and give it time and it will always come good. So you have a couple of options there as I say, first of all, do absolutely nothing and just let it rewild. Or second of all, remove the, the vegetation, leave the bare earth and then in February, March, April, plant some, some seed yourself. OK, and Rebecca has an issue with algae on gravel and on the patio area. It gets quite slippy when it's wet. Um, she's tried picking it out, but it's a very slow process. Any other suggestions of how to get rid of algae? Uh, uh, there's good algicides out there now most musculars contain an algicide in it and and I know there's several of them and I think I think I'm right in saying the Irish one is called Algon and it's Irish and organic which is very effective Uh, I think it's I'm fairly sure it's called Algon uh, and that that will do a very good job. I'm I'm not sure of the name, but I know I've used it, and I know it's Irish and I know it's organic, uh, but I think it's Algon is that one uh, and it's very, very good. Okay, all right, we'll leave I it there. 
yeah. I, I wonder, Trish, just very briefly, she should send us in a photograph because the way she's describing it, it may also be something else. So send us in a photograph of it and we'll have a look at it for next year. And just before you finish up, if I could very briefly, on Thursday, December the 5th, giving people plenty of notice in aid of Marymount, the, there's a Christmas floral extravaganza in the Rochestown Park. Malcolm Kit, the wonderful Maxim Kit, Malcolm Kit, will be giving a floral extravaganza December the 5th for Marymount Hospice. I'll mention it again before Please the event do. anyway. Please do. Okay, listen, thank you for that and have a lovely week and we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Trish. Thanks, Bye-bye. that's uh, Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. Uh, just some quick texts uh, in on the clips on the window, you know, for the safety for children so the children won't fall, fall out of upstairs uh, windows. Anne reckons that the clips on some of those windows can be dangerous because if you've got somebody visiting your home and staying overnight and God forbid there was a fire they may not be able to get out the window as they may not know how to open the clips. Anne says whenever she's people stay in her house. She always shows them how to open it and maybe that's good advice to anybody else when you've got visitors uh, staying. And then Andrew is reacting uh, to Eleanor who joined us about feels discriminated against because she owns an older car and is paying more on her road uh, tax. Andrew says, regarding motor tax differentials, engine size is part of it, but it's based on the CO2 emissions. Diesel emits less CO2 than petrol. So the lady talking about a 1.6 litre road tax being higher versus her son's 2 litre BMW road tax, I presume it's due to her son's car being diesel and her car being petrol. My car, for example, is a 3 litre diesel and it costs me 600 euro per year if it was petrol wait for this it would be 1820 euro per year it's all based on the co2 emissions well, that's where i've got to leave you for today thanks to john paul mcnamara for producing nick richards with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow today, today on c103 with corrigan insurances mccroom now part of mccarthy insurance group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.